the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal, and on today's episode, I have Jeff Harry. Uh, Jeff has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play in the day-to-day. Um, Jeff was selected um, by Engagedly as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2020 for his organizational development work around addressing toxicity in the workplace. His play work has been featured in the New York Times, CNN, and many other publications. Um, I am super excited to have this conversation with Jeff. Uh, one of the topics, obviously, we that I mentioned is HR, which doesn't sound super sexy, but as you grow a business, this is a big deal. Jeff, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, I'm so amped about this. Let's go. Likewise, man. Jeff, I always like to start the show with this question. How'd you get to where you are today? Like, what's the short yeah, version of your story? Yes. So, so do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that movie when I was a kid and he played with toys. Like that was his job. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, it's such a job. Um, so I started writing toy companies in third grade. Wow. Like I was spamming before spam was a thing, like sending five letters like a week to companies. Um, and I just kept doing that until I graduated and actually worked for the toy industry. And you know, and I don't know <laughs> if you've ever gotten what you've always wanted in life. And when you get there, you're so disappointed when you get there. But like, like there was no play, no fun, no high fives, no kids, no toys. Like we might as well have been selling microwaves and socks, right? Yeah. So I'm like, what am I doing in this cubicle? There's padded walls. The only place I know that has padded walls is institutions. So I'm like, man, I got to get out of here. So, you know, I remember leaving New York, coming to the Bay Area, finding a job on Craigslist that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. They basically were just playing with Lego for a living. And I was like, oh, dude, I'll do this. It was paying 150 bucks a week. It was a joke of a job. There were seven people there, but, but they got to play. And I was like, I'm all in on this. And I basically, over the next like 12 years, like helped them build it into like the largest Lego STEM organization like in the country. We went from seven people to 400 people. We wow. taught a million kids in the span of 12 years, you know? And the whole time we were just making up as we went along. Like we had no idea what we were doing. No business plan. We picked cities because they were fun. We picked people because they were fun. We failed miserably and we bounced back. But because we were like growing this organization in Silicon Valley, we got the attention of Facebook, Google, Microsoft, like all those organizations. And they were like, hey, do you do team building events? And we were like, of course we do. Even though we didn't, we just yeah. said yes to everything, right? Just that play mindset. And I found even at these really you know, prolific billion-dollar you know, companies, they would talk about agile. They would talk about disruption. They'd talk about innovation and taking risks. But when you were in their environments, many of them had not created a playful environment for people to actually do that. And I was like, why is this not the case? Oh, it's because they hadn't addressed bigger issues like toxicity at work, office politics, how to get, how to deal with your inner critic, how to get your staff in the flow. So I created Rediscover Your Play as a way to combine positive psychology and play to address those issues, to make it a more enjoyable workplace. Yeah. Awesome. That's really cool, man. I especially love how you were able to take a risk to do something that you love despite the pay and then build that into something that I imagine pays much better now, which, you know, speaks volumes to like the money comes eventually if you right. pursue what it is that you're passionate about in most cases, of course. Um, so I have so many questions about the topic of play and, you know, I'm going to do my best Jeff to not turn this into some type of therapy session. Um, <laughs> When I think about play, honestly, uh, and this show isn't about me, so I'll keep it short, but I moved out at 16. I probably stopped playing at 11. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I would love, and I'm sure there's a bunch of entrepreneurs and leaders out there listening to the episode that take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, 
me being included. And now granted, I think there's a time and a place for, for being serious. Right. Um, but at the same time, if you can, if you can keep margin for play, I, I would imagine it'd be more enjoyable all the time. And that's something that I know that I can grow in. So I'm, I'm super excited to get into this. Um, Jeff, if you could, in one sentence, how would you define play? Yeah, that's a great question. So I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment that has no purpose, that has no result, where you don't have anxiety about the future, you don't have regrets about the past, you are just fully present and in love with that moment and you forget about time. Wow. Yeah, we might need two or three sessions or five or <laughs> ten for me. Hopefully we'll get there, man. But, but but let's talk about play because I think a lot of people think play is just like basketball or, you know, hula hoops or something like that. And based off of my broad definition, anything can be play, right? I was working with a lawyer and she was like, I don't play at all. And I was like, well, what do you do? And she goes, I get people that hate each other to agree on one thing. And I was like, tell me more. And as she was doing it, she was nerding out and getting excited about it. And I was like, that's your play. Right. So everyone defines it differently. You know, I, I, I have play and flow as synonymous. It's like that icky guy. It's that it's the it's the work that's your zone of genius, where even if no one was paying you any money, you just do it because it's who you are. And it's like my business mentor, Stephen Worley, always says, don't you want to get paid to be you? So like that's what it means to actually play. Right. Is to be in your flow and get paid to be you. Would you say that play and flow are mutually exclusive? I think I think they're the same. I okay. see them as exactly the same. And and we have to understand what the the brain science is behind it, right? Because when you're, you know, so your prefrontal cortex, that's where your inner critic is. It's always trying to protect you, right? That's where your negativity bias is. That's why you're always like looking for dangers, even in your business. Like, mm -hmm. oh no, this might happen. Let me think of the worst case scenario, even though rarely the worst case scenario ever comes up, right? But when, you're, when you move from a beta state in your brain to a flow state, part of your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down. This is why time is distorted during this time. And what happens is your inner critic starts to dissipate. You have this um, shot of dopamine because your implicit mind shows up. You become highly creative and you start becoming very curious and you start to see all these opportunities in front of you. What adults do so much that is a problem is they get fixated on a certain result and expectations are the thief of joy, right? They get so fixated on a certain result, they miss out on all the opportunities. But when you're in a flow state, when you're in a growth mind state, you can see all of these options, right? And look at 2020 as the perfect example. We had this vision of what 2020 was supposed to be. And when it didn't happen, we were so distraught. I was supposed to double my business. I was supposed to travel the world. I was supposed to get married. And people that were not able to grieve the fact that that was not going to happen anymore and, and finally grieve and let it go, they struggled throughout 2020. But if you were able to be like, hey, it's not going to happen this year, but I can still adapt. Hey, you know, I usually run things, um, you know, face to face, but now I have to figure it out virtually and just own that play oriented mindset, right? Let and finally let go of what they thought it was going to be, let go of their expectations. They were then able to thrive even in this chaotic, crazy time that we're living in. So you would say that play is sort of a survival mechanism. It can be. Yeah, it definitely can be. Because what you're doing is you're willing to be resilient. You're willing to do what a lot of kids do when they're riding their bike for the first time. They fall down, they get back up. It's no big deal, right? Us as an adult, if we were doing that, we'd fall down and be like, why are we falling down? I don't understand why you fall down. And we'd ruminate about it for like hours. And it's just like, just get back on the bike, man. Let's go. Like, we got to move. Like, we don't have time to like ruminate. Adults spend so much time ruminating and, and, and constantly trying to look for the right solution, right? We're always looking, we're always shooting on ourselves or shooting on others, you know, and Viola Davis says this, um, 
with every decision we make, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And how many people do you know chasing their worth, like looking for external validation that they're doing it right instead of just being like, this is me, I'm a nerd, I'm weird, this is what I like to do, and I don't care what you think. I'm just going to do me. Yeah, I can preach 100%. And I want to talk a little bit more about I guess the opportunity that play presents, because in my mind, I guess as the, um, I'm one of those people that my knee jerk reaction to life in general is pessimism, but I am a grit, I'm a gritty person and I'm a survivor. And so I, in a very short period of time, whether that's seconds or a couple of days based off what's happening, I become optimistic, right? Right. So my knee jerk reaction is who has time for play? Oh, let's get um, it. Right. So you know, what, what is your argument there? Because clearly you've, you've presented the benefits, right? Potential more creativity, but to the bottom line revenue of an organization or, you know, of a leader's ambitions, like what is at risk for not being playful? Well, yeah, well, let's talk about Blockbuster, right? You know, <laughs> talk about any organization. Like I say this so much to organizations. Organizations hate to talk about play, but they love to talk about flow. Because their staff, when their staff is in flow, they're getting the most out of their staff, right? And I say this a lot. Steven Johnson says, the future is where the fun is. What organizations are having the most fun? Those are the organizations that are going to thrive. The TikToks, the Amazons. Like, if you watch the documentary on Amazon in 1998, any tech head in Silicon Valley was trying to hang out with Bezos and he was paying nobody anything. It just was the interesting part. They were solving the most interesting problems, right? So the future is where the fun is. So you as an organization, looking at the ones that are thriving in this environment are willing to adapt and play. And then, you know, a bigger argument is look when you are allowing your staff to actually get in their flow work, right? Google has their 20% rule where 20% of their time they give their staff the ability to pursue things that interest them, that they're curious about, as long as it helps Google. They Im implemented that like 15, 20 years ago. What did that have? What, what benefit did that have? Google Meet came from this. Gmail came from this. All these billion-dollar adventures by giving them the opportunity to explore their curiosity. Now, you as an organization don't have time to do a, give, give their staff like a fifth of their time to do whatever they want. But you can ask your staff, what is the work that you love to do most? Okay, what percentage of time do you do that work? Oh, it's only 5 to 7% of the time. You're only connecting with clients 5% of the time, but you love doing that work. How can we increase that to 10%? Maybe increase it by an hour a day because you're going to get the most out of them. And also it has a ripple effect on all the work they don't like to do because they get to do their flow work first and foremost. And you're showing that you actually care about your staff. So you're able to retain them. They're able to do who do do themselves. And it's just a more fun environment. Yeah, which, I mean, it contributes long-term to the bottom line for sure. Employee retention, um, happier employees equals happier clients and in most, in most experiences, as long as they're productive. So where do you draw the line, right? Let's say that you've got, well, let me back up. When I think play, I think jumping around laughing right. having fun is that only play because when you mentioned flow i don't personally think about what jumping around dancing laughing having fun because flow for me is in a coffee shop with my headphones on you know deep into writing something that i think is interesting or even reading something that I think, you know so flow for me seems boring right so is that still play can you That's still, that is any again any joyful act that where you forget about time where you just are enjoying the process right more than the result, you know, the result is the part that is tough. Now, I think for a lot of organizations, they're like, well, where, yeah, what would you said? Where do they draw the line? You know, okay, I need to meet my quarterly numbers. I totally get it. 
but the way in which you brainstorm to get there can be different, right? You could either approach it in the standard way, right? Like I know so many companies now that are like, let's just get back to normal. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Yo, guess what? Marketing's not working the same way. Sales is not working the same way. The way in which you like, you know, do anything, like look at the Washington Post, right? The way in which they're getting young people to be interested in their newspaper is they're making TikToks online. Like this, they have this random dude that's just making these weird TikToks for the Washington Post, this really stiff organization. Yeah. And people, and all of a sudden kids are like, I kind of like the Washington Post. What is this organization? Because I like this guy, right? So like this willingness to experiment, right? You know, to talk to your boss and be like, listen, we can do it the regular way like we always have. And we know how we would get there that way. Let me experiment with a few other ways to figure out this problem and see what happens, right? We need to be much more in the experimental mode and still meet the quarterly results, but get there in a way that feels more right to us. Yeah. Wow. And would you say, you know, because burnout is a big thing, and I think it's uh -huh. even a bigger deal in 2020. A lot of evidence is showing that people working from home are actually working more. Um, I would say that's an average because we certainly know that some aren't working more. But right. um, how big of a deal do you think play is to re reducing or eliminating burnout? Oh, it's 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 everything, man. Like like burnout. Think about why people burn out. They burn out because they're doing work they hate. They burn out because their boss is telling them like they have to hit certain numbers and they're like, like squeezing them like machines. Right. And I talk a lot about this. Um, most recently I started researching the eight hour workday. I was like, well, where does this eight hour workday even come from? Right. So I found out that it was invented by this Welsh labor activist back in 1817 named Robert Cohen or Owen, Robert Owen, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of, of sleep. Right. And since and then after 100 years, no one paid attention to him. And then all of a sudden, Henry Ford in 1926 was working people on this assembly line 11 to 15 hours. They were dying on the assembly line. They were in the Great Depression. People were not going back to his job. And he was like, I need to lure people back in. So he implemented the eight hour workday and then he doubled everyone's salary. Wow. which was crazy for the industry at the time because they're like, what are you doing? We're going to lose so much money. It's like, I need people, you know, and I need them to be productive. And they were even more productive now that they were being paid more and working less. Since 1926, nobody's changed the eight-hour workday. Not at all. Not, 94 years, man. You know, and then a, a study just found that most workers, the average U.S. worker can only focus for two hours and 53 minutes out of the entire day. I'm surprised so, even that much. Even that much, right? And then the late, and the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics says that we're working 8.8 hours. So what are people doing with five and a half hours of time? Yeah. Stupid meetings, social media, getting coffee, looking for other jobs. Like, like we're there's 85% of people right now are saying they're disengaged at work. So it's like, we're, we're doing everything in such a wrong way. So why wouldn't we be focused on figuring out like, let's do a meeting that isn't an hour long, that is as long as it needs to be like 22 minutes. And the goal of the meeting is to have everyone leave energized. Let's do a meeting where we just brainstorm. What is the work you love to do most? Can we have you do that just a little bit more? Like, let's just focus on that because you only are going to get three to four hours out of someone each day. So what are you going to focus on so they can do their best work? Hmm. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like, cause I want to sort of contextualize physically or maybe, you know, visually for the audience who does play well. So um, who's a, a leader that you think does play well? Um, hmm, that's, I think Disney Plus does a really great job. Um, some of the things Bezos used to do was really good. Um, uh, the, the guys at Google are really, and Sergey's not really running the organization anymore, but the, the guy that's basically running Alphabet does a really good job at it. Um, the, 
I just to show the flip side of it is like Steve Jobs was really good at playing himself, but he did not create an atmosphere for others to play. He made it such a pressure filled environment that made people super competitive against one another that didn't, that created a toxic environment. That is not something that I'm recommending. You know, you know, you know, who's probably really great at it. Zappos. Zappos is phenomenal. at Tony Sue. Yeah. 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 Um, And just all of the experimentation, like any organization that is experimenting right now, like even the people, I mean, I don't know that much about the people that are doing TikTok, but they've created a platform where people can play where Instagram is not able to do that. Like even as they're making Instagram reels, they're not able to pull people over because it's not a fun place. It's a very judgmental place on Instagram. That is what, that's why they took away the likes because they were like, people didn't enjoy it as much. They felt bad about themselves. You know, while on TikTok, people don't really care. They're just having fun and they're like acting like fools on there, right? I make a TikTok to start my day. It has no ROI. It has no productive value, but it frames my day as play. Right. Because once I do that, everything else I see in a much more opportunistic type way. Now, you know, on the flip side of that, when people say they have a bad day, they I don't actually think people have bad days. What they have is they have bad moments. And what positive psychology has taught me is like thoughts last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So you have a bad moment and then you ruminate about that bad moment over and over and over again. And then you prime your day to look for other bad moments, thus, you know, manifesting a bad day. But on the flip side of that, if you ask the question, like my friend Desiree, how can it get any better than this? When something good happens, like, oh, I made this TikTok. How can it get any better than this? I was talking to this dude from England on a podcast. How can it get any better than this? I was talking to a dude in Canada on my next podcast. How can it get any better than this? Jared and I are now bus breaking it down. How can it get any better than this? Like that, and you're seeing it that way with that momentum and that curiosity. You can like create stuff that you never thought possible because you're in that yes and mindset. Speaks a lot to uh, managing our thought life and, and our mindset. I want to transition to a little bit more culturally relative, like uncertainty, right? Like this year has been wild. Uh-huh. Um, even despite this year, life is uncertainty. And, life has always been uncertainty. Yep. Yeah. And being a, a business leader or an entrepreneur, there's a lot of pressure and stress that can be associated with that. How do, how do people navigate uncertainty through play? So I think one of the biggest things is um, first letting go that you ever had control, right? (laughs) Because most of we don't, like none of us know what we're doing, man. We're just figuring this out. Like I give advice all the time, but I try to give it as like from a humble place of, hey, this worked out for me. This works out for my clients and the organizations I work with. Maybe it'll work with you, right? But, But any advice that I give someone I always tell them the only reason it resonates with you is because you're already giving that advice to yourself. You already have all the answers that you need, right? So so what gives us such anxiety is us looking for the right answer. And the problem why it's been so hard during 2020 is no one has the right answer. There is no pandemic perfection playbook, right? And anyone that's trying to sell that I want to go up to them and be like, oh, were you here during 1918 when the last pandemic? Because if you're not, you need to just shut up because nobody knows. Like we're all just figuring it out. Right. And, and, and being okay, being in this uncertain process. Right. And then just starting to experiment with stuff. Oh, my marketing is not working this way. Okay. I'm going to experiment in a new way. I'm going to start making some TikToks or something in order to market, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to utilize the fact that now I'm stuck in quarantine, right? And I'm going to start making videos. I remember um, hearing Elizabeth Gilbert's quote, um, personal transformation doesn't happen until you get tired of your own BS, right? So what BS are you telling yourself as a business owner right now? My BS was I I was telling myself I didn't have time to make videos. Quarantine happened back in March and it was like, guess what? You have all the time in the world. Now I'm making them at least one a day right? That's just been folded into my marketing practice. How is that possible? Because I, 
I was able to own my BS and be like, all right, that's a story I don't want to tell myself anymore. So we have to be able to like embrace this crazy time and be open to experimenting and failing and being like, yo, it's not that big of a deal because like no one knows what they're doing and we're all figuring it out together. I love that perspective. Um, it might be a good reminder for some and it, it might not, uh, it might not break through for some others that think well, they know. Well, well, I'll say, I'll tell you the other part that I think also resonates is I ask people this all the time. Who are you trying to impress? Like, who are you trying to impress right now? You know, if you're trying to impress someone that you won't care about in a year, why are you doing that? Like, you know, anyone that, that loves you or cares about you doesn't need you to impress them. They just don't. Right. And and I think a lot of times we are looking for like, oh, maybe if I do it Gary Vaynerchuk's way or or Tony Robbins' way or Brene Brown's way, then that will be the way. And it's like, no, nah, man, you got to figure that out for yourself. You got to figure out your way, right? Yeah. And then there's the other part of like defining what success is. You know, I know a lot of rich people. I know a lot of successful people. I know a lot of famous people, you know, and all of them suffer from what I would term as affluent deadness. Like you can see the deadness in their eyes. And what I mean by that is they have everything. They have, they can travel the world. They can buy whatever they want. They can get anything they want and they look miserable, you know, and I talk to them. They are, and many of them are not just that happy, right? They're either worried about losing all of their stuff or they might have a net worth of 5 million, but someone has a net worth of 10 million. So they're not that great. Or they're just bored because they thought or sad because they thought when they got to this point, they would finally be happy. And they're not, they're just not. And then they post on Instagram how amazing their life is. And then I ask them like, why are you posting? Why are you, why are you even posting that? And they're like, oh, you know, I like the likes and, you know, I like the, the praise, you know, so they're selling this lie that they're happy. And then there's all these people that are trying to strive up to get up there only to be disappointed when they get there. So it's like, you need to be able to find fulfillment now, like find joy in what the work you're doing right now, because no one can take that away from you. If you're doing the work that you love, regardless of whether you have money, or you don't have money, you're killing it because you are fully alive. And that is what I consider success, getting paid to be you. Getting paid to be you. That's amazing, man. Um, you know, as you're talking, one person, uh, one celebrity that I think does play really well is Matthew McConaughey. Right. I right. love this guy. Um, and I don't stand up comedy right now. He's Dude. trying stand-up comedy. He's just trying everything. Yeah, he just does a lot of different things. And he, like, you know, I, li I listened to his memoir and, like, just his stories where he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to change doing that. You know? Like, exactly. So cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, think of everything. He's been a professor, you know, now he's doing stand-up comedy. Like, like he's on the field with the, you know, with the longhorns. Like, he's like, he just, he's just experimenting, right? Yeah. You know, and even his, his, uh, what is this, Academy Award speech where, you know, he said, you know, who, who do I look up to? I look up to the person that, that I am like four years from now. Like, that's just an interesting way of even looking at it of like, you know, I want to impress my future self. I'm not trying to impress all these other people. Who cares about these other people? I want to impress my future self. Yeah, that's good. So how do you, you know, how do you help people discover or rediscover that play or flow in order to do their best work? Yeah. So let's get into like the tangible stuff people can do, right? Because some people are like, ah, you know, I don't play and, you know, I don't like to play or, well, you know or I've never played, or I haven't played in forever. So I always first, before diving into that, I explain why most adults don't play. So here's the reason most adults don't play. By the time you're 18 years of age, you have heard the word no 148,000 times, according to studies. So, and you've probably only heard the word yes, maybe eight to 10,000 times, depending on who raised you, right? Then on top of that, you know, you're shit on by your parents, you're shit on by teachers, you're shit on by adults that are always telling you what you should major in, what you should do when you grow up. You know, think about the amount of times when you were five years old, when they were like, you should do this when you grow up. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm five. Like, why are you giving 
giving me advice right now, right? <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? You know, then you go to school where you're told to ask, to raise for your hand for permission. You're told, you know, like, you're just told what to do all the time. Then you, you know, you get into your teenage years where you're bombarded by social media that is constantly telling you that you're not enough. We get more information in a day via social media than people got in a year in 1950. And all that information is telling you, you're not enough, buy this product, you're not enough, Be this, become this influencer like this person. You know, So you're constantly hearing all of that and then anytime you try to do anything that's interesting to you, you're told you're being mischievous. You're told you're being weird. You're told like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Why do you want to start a podcast? Why do you want to make videos that's dumb? Like that has no ROI, right? So you're getting all of that. So it's such a rebellious act for you to play, for you to start a podcast, for you to do something that interests you because everything in society is telling you not to play. So let's just have compassion for ourselves first before we dive into how, right? Then actually how you do it, I recommend at least two ways. One way um, is from my play mentor, uh, Gwen Gordon, where you can't play until you calm yourself down, until you soothe yourself. You know, if you're if you have a lot of anxiety or very angry or sad, you can't play. You're just not in that space. So Whoever nurtured you the most, that's how you actually learn how to soothe yourself. So if you don't know how to do that, you're going to have to find out how to calm yourself down, right? I have my best ideas in the shower. Others have their best ideas when they're exercising or working out. Others have their best ideas when they're just doing morning pages and just writing, right? Find that, that quiet place that calms you down. And then I challenge people, even as the play guy, to get bored Bored the way when you were a kid bored because you had your best ideas when you were bored. You also had your most dangerous ideas, but you had your best ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So so um, you get bored, which means stop binge watching Netflix for two hours. Stop looking at social media and scrolling through TikToks and Instagram for just a couple hours, not even the whole day, just a few hours and get super bored and then see what comes up. See what like that crazy inner curious inner child starts to whisper to you because it's going to say something crazy, but also something exciting that you never thought about. Like, hey, start that podcast. Hey, make that video. Hey, think about making this side business. You know, hey, reach out to that job you've been wanting to reach out to, you know, or that person that you've been itching to reach out to, but you're also super scared to. And just follow that curiosity and see where that actually takes you. You know, so that's just one one, and I can get into another one in a sec. Well, I, that's a big enough homework, I think, for most of us. Um, what when you well, let's kind of go back to the the leadership and business thing? What's a business that you think could really use your play consulting? Um, I mean, there's a lot of businesses, but any business right now that is going through. Uh, serious financial predicament, you know, where they are struggling to figure out their revenue stream, especially a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And what their leaders are doing are being less transparent, having less meetings, telling, telling their staff less about, and just being scared. Because in those scared environments, that is where companies die. That's where it happened to Blockbuster right? Is because they were scrambling, you know, at first they were like, oh, it's no big deal. And then all of a sudden Netflix started taking their market share and they started freaking out and scrambling to do what they did, but couldn't do it, you know, and then just, and just like disappeared. Right. So, so many organizations right now are acting scared when frankly, they need to be open to experimenting right now and trying new ways of doing their business. You know, I was talking to uh, this guy that runs a fixed stop mastermind on 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 cars, you know, and how do you how do you you service cars in this new this new pandemic, this 2020? And what so many car dealerships were like, people want to come into the office, you know, they want to hang out. Let's make a coffee bar for them. Let's make some arcades. Let's entertain them. No one wanted that stuff. 
No one cared about that stuff. But the the companies in his industry that thrive the most were the ones that they were like, you know what they want? They want convenience. They want us to drive to their house, pick up their car, drive, fix their car, bring it back. Those were the companies that for, that thrived the best, you know, because they were able to like just be on top of it and able to like, let's just figure this out instead of doing the same tired solutions that didn't work before the pandemic and clearly are not going to work now. Yeah. I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right because in my experience uh, running and operating businesses, when our back's against the wall, normally it's like, let's get rid of the fun stuff we do. Exactly. We don't have time or money for it. We don't have time. Yeah. Um, and so you're preaching to the choir. Um, like my message is you do not have time not to play. Yeah. Right. Because you always have to be adaptable or you're done. You're just done. For you. I'm interested. Um, you seem like a really happy go lucky guy. Uh, is there ever a time where play is difficult for you? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, now I think it's because I've been doing it for so long, it comes super easy. Uh, but I think it's just like any muscle, right? Like there are times when I'm sad. There are times when like things are not going well. There's times when play experiments don't work out and I get too fixated on results. Right. And, and as you know, a lot of positive psychology, he says, you know, and I actually learned this when my father passed away is, you know, my father passed away in 2015. Right. And I'm all of his brothers come in, four of his brothers haven't seen each other in 30 years. Wow. Uh, and I'm surrounded by my family, you know, and I'm at a funeral and I'm feeling joy and I'm feeling gratitude. And I'm like, oh, I feel so guilty. Why should I be feeling this? I should be feeling grief and sadness. But it was like, wait a minute you know, from positive psychology, you can feel all of the emotions at the same time, like allow them to flow through you, allow that emotion to, to sit with you and then let that stuff go. And that has taught me to like, to just like own wherever I'm at. There are times when I like, I'm super disappointed. I feel it. And then I let it go. I think what adults do so much of is they ruminate on it. They ruminated on it so much and tying into the other way in which to get, you know, people to play more. I, I implore your listeners to do this. This is a fascinating experiment that you can learn a ton about yourself by doing this is reach out to three of your three to five of your closest friends. And you're going to ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? You know, and what I mean by that is like, what, what do I do for you? Why are we friends? And if you're in the business world, you could be like, what value do I bring to the team? Like, what do we, what do I do for you? Right. What value do I bring to your life? And then second, when have you seen me most alive? Right. And another way of answering that is like, when have you seen me most engaged, most playful, most creative, you know, most on my game? Like, when have you seen that? Right. And when you get all that information back from three to five people, you'll be fascinated with the answers that show up. And that is where the play will be. That is where all of the goodness and the delicious, you know, ideas lie. And then you can figure out what do I want to do next with all this information and how I want to act. So uh, those two questions, the first one, can you repeat it for me? Yeah. Is what value do I bring to your life? And the second question is, when have you seen me most alive? Great. Thank and you. Those, and just see what happens from there because yeah. I, I'm telling you, you're going to have a fascinating adventure. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to, to do that myself. Um, one of the topics that I wanted to cover with you was how to deal with toxicity in the workplace. Ooh. What are your thoughts on that? All right. So let's get into it. Right. So, so, um, and, and, and here's just a, a brief example of what play can do, right? This workshop is called dealing with a-holes at work through play i made up this workshop with my friend gary Ware while eating breakfast burritos in san diego as a joke we just made it as just a whim and then we started applying to all these conferences and they said yes and i was like oh crap now we have to create this right yeah. so like all of a sudden we go from like speaking at inbound traveling to Australia to do this, to getting into South by Southwest doing this, you know, to now I, I just ran it with the department of Homeland security, all experimentation, all by playing. We didn't know if it was going to work out. We didn't know if he'd ever make money from it, but we messed around with it. Right. So actually dealing with toxic people at work, 
I think a crucial part of this, this is all about setting boundaries and not allowing this toxic person to run amok. So there's four different ways in which you can do this. A lot of people deal with toxic people at meetings. So this is the easiest way first. Toxic people love to take up a lot of a meeting. You know, they speak for like 80% of the meeting, right? So you work with your colleagues and you go, listen, over the next three to six months, we're going to take this meeting back over, right? Samantha, I'm going to get your back when he cuts you off. Sam, when he, you know, when he tells you your idea is stupid, I'm going to be like, whoa, whoa, let's hear what he has to say. We're going to get each other's back and we're going to slowly start occupying the meeting back up. And what we're doing is we're setting boundaries and being like, you can't do this anymore. You can't act this way at this meeting. That's the first way. The second way, and this is a little bit harder, is you confront that toxic person directly because a lot of times they don't know they're being an a-hole, right? Maybe they're just an engineer. They're just bad at communicating, right? So you either go and confront that person directly, or if you're scared to do it by yourself, you do it with other people. But when you address them, you're not attacking their character. You're addressing their behavior and the impact that it's having, right? So you're like, hey, Chad. I just picked Chad as the name. (laughs) Poor Chad. You know, hey, Chad, uh, sorry, Chad, but hey, Chad, you know, when you cut off Samantha at, at the meeting, not only does she not want to share anymore, but it communicates to all of us. You don't want to hear what we have to say either. Is that your intent? Like, is that what you want to do? Because that's the impact that's having. And maybe Chad's like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. You know, right. Or Chad might be like, F you, I'm going to do whatever I want, right? So let's say he does that. That's when you have to go to the supervisor or the supervisor's supervisor if the, you know, of um, if, if that person's an a-hole, right? And then you have to talk to the supervisor again about impact. Hey, Chad is, I know that Chad is a brilliant jerk because a lot of times the toxic person brings in a ton of revenue, right? I know Chad brings in about a million dollars of revenue. But do you know that also Chad caused four of our staff to quit this year? You know, that costs us $1.2 million. So Chad is actually losing us $200,000. And and just so you know, there's data that backs this up. Sherm just did a study where they found that Fortune 500 companies in the past five years alone have lost $223 billion, billion dollars because of toxic people at work. And those are only the companies that are willing to admit that a toxic person was working there. So you tell that supervisor, like, this is what's happening. Does this match up with the missions and values of the organization? If the boss is like, hey, we're keeping Chad, then at least you know that this might not be the right place for you anymore. And then finally, and this is the hardest one to deal with, is you have to deal with your inner a-hole, your inner critic, the one that the reason Chad triggers you is because he's saying something that you believe. You might believe you're an imposter. You might believe that you shouldn't get paid as much as Chad. You might believe you you don't want to share at meetings because you don't know what you're, you're talking about, right? So, but once you address that, and you're like, wait a minute, I should get paid better than Chad. Wait a minute, I should be speaking of means I know what I'm talking about. I should actually get that promotion, right? And you start believing that in yourself. The next time Chad says something super disrespectful at a meeting, you can be like, yo, dude, Chad, don't ever say that to me. Don't ever disrespect me in that way again. And when you do that, it's like, whoa, Jeff just stood up to Chad. And then all these other people are like, man, I'm going to stand up to Chad too, man. Like, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. Then everyone starts setting boundaries. And then Chad is like, I either have to change my behavior or I got to go. And that's how you would deal with it. Poor Chad, man. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Chad, but you know, you got to change. You got to step it up, man. <laughs> Actually, poor Jeff. You know, Jeff's the one who has to deal with himself. Right. Um. Well, man, I, you know, I want to elaborate a little bit more on the act of play in the workplace. What if it's the owner or the leader that's the Chad? I mean, that's where you actually have to talk to them about the impact they're having, okay. and like. What is the eventual goal? Hey, yo, boss, our goal is to hit, you know, 3 million in sales. Right now, we're not going to hit it because we are approaching it in an antiquated way, you know? And I know we want to do it this way, but this is the impact you're having every time you scream at us to hit our numbers. Every time you put pressure on us, we're not going to hit our numbers that way. And if you want to make money, 
you create an environment where we can do the our best work our way, right? You yeah. know, and when I'm running that dealing with a-holes workshop, we actually practice with people, how do you have that conversation? Because it's not going to happen like you have one perfect conversation and then it works out. You have to constantly keep setting that boundary, right? Constantly keep letting that boss know like, yo, dude, like this is the impact you're having. You know, you're getting in the way of your own success. I've told this to bosses in the past. Hey, you crap on everyone's ideas. So instead of you showing up to this meeting, why don't we brainstorm by ourselves, we'll come up with a bunch of ideas and then I'll bring it to you directly. So I don't waste your time. Right. So like there's a, there are ways in which you can like adapt it while utilizing their, you know, like it's good that you're criticizing our ideas, but why don't we let everyone yes. And for like 80% of the time, and then I'll bring it to you. So you just have to adapt and experiment with how to address that. But if you're you know, your boss wants to continue to be an a-hole and act the way they are, then you have to start looking for something else because that might not be the right place for you anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to sort of transition to some closing questions uh, with one being really about business, especially with your experience. You've, you know, you've spoke and um, consulted with, I think, Amazon, the NFL, Facebook, Google. There was a couple other uh, reputable brands out there. What, what do you think contributes most to business success? And we'll just kind of put play to the side for a second. Um, and what I mean is like market timing, product fit, uh, the business model, leadership, culture. What is your like number one priority? The, the, the number one priority, and, and Google has done a lot of research on this, um, psychological safety. You know, you, how strong is your team? right? And what are you doing to utilize the strengths of your team? Marcus Buckingham talks a lot about this, of like focusing on red thread work. You know, Simon Sinek talks about the brilliant jerk, right? The brilliant jerk, the Navy SEALs will never pick the brilliant jerk, regardless how brave, how athletic, how smart that person is, because they're going to destroy the team. And you've even noticed this, like, you know, I don't know, Ken Griffey Jr. when he left the Seattle Mariners or Alex Rodriguez when he left the Rangers, right? Like teams got better. And it's all about creating psychological safety so that your staff can share with you as the boss, hey, this is not working, man. Or, hey, I can be honest with my colleagues and be like, yo, let's do this. Let's do it this way. I trust you to do this because it's all about transparency and being able to share. If you can't do that, you can't build. You just can't, you know, you could be super competitive. You know, you can, you can, uh, you can compete on a high level, but if there's no trust or not that much trust involved after a while, people are going to start doing their own thing because they're going to be looking out for themselves and there's going to be a lot of CYA. And when a lot of CYA happens, that's when Blockbuster happens. Yeah. Nobody wants to be the next Blockbuster. What advice would you give? Uh, you know, so imagine your 10-year-older self giving you advice. What do you think that person would say? Um, my my advice, it would, it would tie in with one of the regrets of the dying. Where they, where one of the regrets of people that are on their deathbed is, um, I lived the life that others wanted me to live, not the life that I wanted to live. Right. So my future self would be telling me, do you? Don't try to impress others. Figure out what you want. Spend that time investing and trying to hear your inner self, your inner curiosity. Strengthen that muscle, that intuition. Because that is going to drive not only your success, but your fulfillment and joy for the rest of your life. Everyone else, who cares what they're doing? Who cares who's shooting on you? Because all those people that hate on you, when you're finally successful, all of a sudden they're like, how did you do it? I can't believe you get all this. And it will be like, yeah. You were shitting on me way back when, when I was just experimenting on this stuff. So everyone's going to try to give you answers, but frankly, you have all the answers that you're, that you need. Just keep doing you. Love it. What, who's your favorite person to follow right now on social media? Ooh, <clears throat> oh, man. Oh, 
I imagine they're going to be pretty fun. Yeah, it's a few different people, you know. I enjoy Mel Robbins stuff, you know, her five, you know, five second rule. Um, I'm loving a lot of Simon Sinek stuff. Um, but you know what? Probably my favorite person right now when it comes to leadership, Marcus Buckingham. Marcus freaking Buckingham, dude. This dude did a talk where he got up on stage and was like, and was super vulnerable. And he goes, I've never done this talk in my life. And what it, what he shared was, do you remember that scandal where people were paying to get their kids into college? Yeah. His wife did that for their son without them knowing. And he goes up on stage and shares how he's been working in the strength-based finder industry for 20 years. And he didn't see this coming from his wife. And he's just super vulnerable up there. But he is fascinating because he's exploring strength-based leadership all the time. And, and, is, and, was, and is so popular right now because of the pandemic to navigate this crazy time i had to look Marcus him that way i put oh. mark him what uh what are your top three favorite books if you were to recommend three books to somebody especially in the topic of play um gay hendrick's book the big leap which talks about your zone of genius and uh how we self-sabotage ourselves that's a that's a phenomenal book um right now i'm into a cure for stupidity um, by Eric Bailey. Um, it's all about questioning why you think you're right and how if you're going to have a conversation, you either have to decide to, to understand or be right because you can't do both. Yeah. Right. That's a huge one. Um, and what I'm liking right now is this guy named Anand Gurdagas, um, who's talking about winners take all where he asks, you know, should billionaires exist when people are in poverty? You know, and he challenges the notion that billionaires are doing good in this world. And he's like, they need to pay their taxes more. And then we, we will all thrive more because, you know, like they're hiding 12 to 23 trillion dollars offshore. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, like, yo, we need that tax money. So, yeah. So those are the three that I'm into right now. You know, a book that I thought of uh, just now was um, You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. Have you ever heard of that book? Oh, no. What's that? You know who Richard Feynman is? Uh, maybe. I, that, why does it sound familiar? Well, he's a like a not a Nobel Prize winner, but he won. I'm butchering him, and I apologize. He's a he worked on the Manhattan Project, the Atomic Bomb. Oh, Town, sweet! But he is a master of play, brother. If you nice. haven't read this book, you have to read. You must be joking, Mister Feynman. He used to. All break, right, sweet. He would break into people's like piggy banks and their personal banks and their offices, but he's a scientist, like a genius. So he is a lot of fun. You oh, that's awesome. You got to email that to me. That's dope. Yeah. Um, last one, man. Uh, if you could put yeah. anything on a big blank billboard, I took this from Tim Ferriss. I love this guy. Uh, what would it say if you could put it on the busiest road possible? Um, No one knows what they're doing, so trust what you're doing. <laughs> That's what I would put, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, Jeff, I really appreciate you being on the show. I have a lot of homework to do once we get off this call. Let's go. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I'm going to check back in with you here in a couple weeks uh, after I make a little bit of progress. And I'm sure the audience really appreciates it as well, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This has been super fun. I love your questions. They're dope. Likewise, man. All right, Jeff. I'll see you later. All right. Take care.